Welcome back to Let's Talk About Women, a podcast where we talk about women's mental health across the reproductive lifespan. My name is Franziska Weinmer and I'm a doctoral candidate of the International Research Training Group 2804 and with this podcast we want to share insights from interdisciplinary research on women's mental health. In this special episode, I will take you on-site to the FEE Male Brain Symposium, which was held here with us in Tübingen in April 2023. I had the chance to talk to three speakers of the symposium, all of which are pioneers in the field of sex and gender research in neuroscience. I'm really happy and excited to share these interviews with you over the upcoming episodes. Enjoy! Welcome, Professor Daphna Joel. I'm very honored to talk to you in this podcast. And Professor Joel, you came all the way from Israel, where you are currently a professor at Tel Aviv University. You are a renowned pioneer in research on sex and gender differences with your theory of the mosaic brain, about which you've also written a book, which is available in English and German, and the title is the gender mosaic beyond the myth of the male and female brain and for our German listeners it's called das Gehirn hat kein Geschlecht um, yes so we will just start and directly jump into that um, you are the proponent of the mosaic brain theory but could you briefly explain what this theory is about Yes, I will be gl glad to do this. So we all know that the sex affects the brain and we all the time we hear about sex differences in the brain, in humans, in rats, in mice, etc. And what we asked is whether these differences add up consistently within each brain to create two types of brains, male brains and female brains. And what I realized when I was starting to, to study this is that sex effects on the brain may be opposite under different conditions. So what's typical of male rats, for example, under one set of conditions may be typical of female rats under another set of conditions and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And this made me realize that the logic that we take from the reproductive system in which humans indeed almost always belong to one of two types. Either we have only male genital organs or only female genital organs. It's very rare that humans have intersex genitalia. So we borrow this logic of the genitalia and we use it to understand sex differences in the brain. But the fact that what's typical of males and females can be different under different conditions led me to this mosaic hypothesis, assuming that each brain will be a unique combination, unique mosaic of male typical and female typical features. So this was the mosaic hypothesis we derived from the studies, or I derived from the studies in, in rats that, that others have conducted. And a few years later, we tested this hypothesis in the human brain. Mm -hmm. And indeed, we showed that when you take the brain regions that show the largest sex gender differences in the human brain, and you define what's typical of males and what's typical of females for each of these brain measures, and you go back to each brain, you see that very few people have only male typical or only female typical features. Mm -hmm. And most humans have a combination, each unique combination of these features. So if we were to use the terminology of the genitalia to the brain, we would say that most brains are intersex. I see. Mm -hmm. So with the theory, you're basically saying that 
there's not the male brain, there's not the female brain. So I would not be able to look at the brain and say like, oh, this is a male and this is a female because it's just a com combination, a mosaic, as you say, of individual parts that have so-called, quote-unquote, feminine or masculine characteristics and that just add up and also as far as I understand correctly, are in the interaction with the environment, can change and can adapt to become more masculine, more feminine, so quote-unquote. Um, yeah, and just being variable in that sense. So, so you said many different things. So first, yes, the mosaic changes throughout our lives because whenever we experience something new or new, new situations, mm -hmm. then some features of our brain will change and the mosaic mm -hmm. will change. So this is for sure true. Uh, you can use brain anatomy to predict whether someone is male or female. Okay, it's very complicated because you need to put them into an MRI, etc. It's not very accurate. So depending on how you do it, the percent correct would be between 70% and 90%, depending on how you do it. And obviously it's much easier to just ask someone, is that male or female? Mm -hmm. um, or just look at them and know. So the, the interesting question for me is, we know that someone is male or female, what can we say about their brain? So mm -hmm. it's the opposite prediction. And this, what our studies show, is that we can't say much because each individual is this unique mosaic. And in additional studies or further studies, we showed that the brain architectures that are typical of women are also typical of men and vice versa. And the sex category really gives you no information on how two brains would be similar or different from one another. So the fact that we are two females doesn't mean that our brains are more similar than the, uh, our brains to the brain of a male. Okay. So at the individual level, it does not really make then sense to say that our brains are just more similar because, yeah, we are, we, both of us have an individual mosaic of these characteristics then. Right, and our sex category doesn't predict the mosaic and this is, it doesn't predict in what features we will be similar and in what will be different. And, and again, this is very different from the genitalia or reproductive system in which if we are females, then our reproductive systems are very similar mm -hmm. and very different from mm -hmm. any reproductive system mm -hmm. of a male. So just our biological sex does not say something about how my mosaic looks in comparison to your mosaic looks. Right. And, okay. and this is really important to say, it's not because sex doesn't affect the brain. So there are many studies showing that sex-related factors, genes, and to a much greater extent, hormones, affect hormones, exactly. the brain. Yeah. But the way they affect the brain depends on many other factors. And it is the interactions of many, other, of many factors. Sex is one of them that determines the final structure of each brain feature. And this is why even though sex affects the brain, it doesn't provide information on the final brain structure. I see. So because during this podcast, we had also talked a lot about women's mental health. And for women, of course their sex, their biological sex comes along with hormone fluctuations that men, as like men in, in the male sex, do not experience, like the menstrual cycle, like pregnancy or menopause. And as far as I understand you correctly, is that um, this has an effect on the brain and the hormones do affect the brain. But still you're saying like, 
at the individual level, then it doesn't tell something about my mosaic in a structure and connectivity function as well. Yeah, so uh, let me explain. So first, it, just to make it more accurate, men also have fluctuations of hormones of course, of course, and yeah. testosterone levels fluctuate much more than estradiol and progesterone throughout the menstrual cycle. So mm -hmm. they also have fluctuations of hormones and changes throughout life in the levels of hormones. And obviously we all have ho all hormones, so men also have estradiol and progesterone in levels that are quite similar to the level in women except for pregnant women, which are a class of their own. Okay, so, you know, the whole binary conceptualization of sex in terms of sex-related hormones is also completely misleading and not relevant. Now, back to your question. Yes, our hormones and how they change, they affect the brain, but they are not the sole determining, determining factor. So, for example, if we take a woman after her birth, mm -hmm. you know, it's a whole lot of hormones changing levels, etc., and she probably is very emotional because of this. But whether she will have a postpartum depression or would be euphoric following birth depends on many other factors. So, because otherwise we will all be the same. We will all either have postpartum depression or all be euphoric after birth. And, you know, women vary a lot. And why do they vary a lot? Because of many other factors. Some may be genetic, relating mm -hmm. to predisposition, for example, for depression. Other may be environmental, whether she has support from her family or whether she is isolated, etc. So this is the, the, the point. It's Yes, sex-related hormones affect the brain. They affect many aspects of the brain. But they are not enough to predict the outcome. The outcome depends on many, many other factors. And this is why we are all different. Okay, so I see that we um, should... Uh, maybe even extend the mosaic hypothesis theory to also, now I'm linking two interviews at the same time, the biopsychosocial approach to say like, it's not only a mosaic in our biology, but also in a psychosocial way that we can have and we are individually variable and different. And yes, of course, like that is a point where probably we see that um, women during hormonal transition phases do have a certain vulnerability, but there are different factors that are important. It's not the hormones alone, because as you said, like otherwise everyone would have postpartum depression maybe, but it's also different symptoms that come to, um, not symptoms, but factors that come together, right? Yeah, okay. and I, I want to add to this, I think we start from, uh, from the binary of the reproductive system. So humans can only reproduce as males or females. Some humans cannot reproduce, but those that can, can only reproduce as male or female. And it is a centuries-old question mm -hmm. of how far the sex categories extend into the human brain and mind. And what we've shown is that they do not extend into the human brain. So the sex categories, the fact that we have male and female reproductive systems, this do not extend into the brain. We do not have a male and a female brain. And, and this is also true for rats, not just for humans. When we come to humans and we take two groups of humans, one with male reproductive systems and the other with female reproductive systems, they are different in many, many, many variables. 
but the other variables do not come in two distinct sets. Mm -hmm. So they differ in the level of hormones, they do not come in two distinct sets, we just talked about it, mm -hmm. but we also differ, or they also differ in many uh, social and psychological variables. They get different education, they get different treatment by the environment, they are, have different expectations from themselves and from others, etc., etc. And all this enormous you know, set of variables are mosaics, again, because, you know, we do not come in two distinct sets. Males with male reproductive system that are very good in math, for example, and are very active physically, and women mm -hmm. with female reproductive systems that are not active physically and are not good in math. No, we are mosaics in every other aspect except the form of the reproductive system. I see. So you're also, not only with the theory, but also then in your book, linking that again, you're, you're claiming and saying like, we need to move beyond the binary. We need to like have and embrace that complexity. I guess that was a very beautiful sentence that was also um, mentioned during one of the talks. We have to embrace the complexity and have to embrace that it's not simple, clear cut men or women just with just having the binary approach to everything regarding that and having stereotypes about one or the other, but to just, um, yeah, Embrace the mosaic, I guess. Um, so one of my... Um But I want to mm -hmm. add something. Yes. So we did a sim similar analysis to what mm -hmm. we did with the brain to psychological characteristics. So mm -hmm. we looked at attitudes, preferences, mm -hmm. abilities, etc. that show large gender differences. And then again, we got back to the level of each individual and asked whether humans have only feminine or only masculine characteristics. And we found that this is very, very rare, even more than in the brain. And most human, humans have a mosaic of feminine and masculine characteristics. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm sure our listeners, they know this about themselves because everyone can name a few masculine and a few feminine characteristics. But maybe they didn't know that everyone is like this. And when you realize that everyone is a mosaic of feminine and masculine characteristics, you can ask, so why do we agree to live in a society which has this binary gender structure in which you, know, you take all this enormous human diversity and try to fit it into two boxes, girls and boys, mm -hmm. men and women. This system harms everyone because no one fits the system. Some suffer more, some suffer less, but you know, this is the thing that we need to oppose, the social gender system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably then also going more in depth into um, a social, cultural perspective now. Um, but I would like to then also circle back to neuroscience um, and, and ask you as well, um, what would you say can the mosaic brain theory um, contribute to future neuroscience. So why is it important to also have this approach and this perspective specifically in neuroscience? So what we have shown is that uh, in, in the human brain, sex category provides little information. And this means that if you, for example, want to study the neurosubstrate of uh, language processing, then you shouldn't put sex category or gender category as a variable because it will only lead to false positive results. So even if you find differences, it will be just false positive differences. Uh, where 
sex gender category may still be important is in uh, studying some uh, psychopathologies or neural conditions because we did show in the studies that I mentioned before that even though the typical or the brain architectures typical of women are also typical of men and vice versa, there were some large sex gender differences in some rare brain types. So if you think, for example, of autism, which is usually the example. So autism is more common in boys compared to girls, but it is rare in boys and girls. So most humans do not have autism. But of the few people that do have autism, so we can think of autism as a rare brain condition, we do see a large sex gender difference. So when you study psychopathology, you may want to consider sex gender differences and see whether this is relevant or not. This is an empirical question. It shouldn't be an a priori assumption. But when you are studying the normal human brain and, you know, general functions like language or memory or cognition, etc., then you shouldn't put sex category in because it will just interfere with your attempt to, uh, you know, to uncover how the human brain works. Okay, I see. So you would say, if I understand that correctly, that for certain conditions or certain diseases, if we would say so, um, pathologies, it is necessary to look at or at least include the sex gender category to have a at least investigate that as a question um, empirically as you said but then if you want to understand other functions it's worth not only worth it but probably necessary to go beyond yeah because what we showed is that you you know we all belong into a single highly heterogeneous population of human brains And this is the right way to describe it instead of thinking of male brains and mm -hmm. female brains as two distinct populations. Mm -hmm. And would you say that this is also where the field is heading at at the moment in neuroscience? Well, it's difficult to say because many researchers did not look at sex differences or gender differences even before. So mm -hmm. usually the samples are small in functional MRI studies, for example, and no one bothers or few people bother to divide the sample even further by including gender category. Uh, so they should just do whatever they were doing up until now, but now they have a good, uh, you know, scientific background to say we should not, you know, it's okay that we are doing this. There is a small group of scientists that build on sex gender differences and they have more trouble uh, accepting the new view. Although I do see a, a change and many papers now include a reference to, you know, the mosaic and that everyone is mosaic, etc. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So we're heading in... Um in the right direction, in a, a new direction maybe? I, I wouldn't say right or wrong. I would yes. say I think it's more scientifically valid and yes. I think it will lead to better uh, science and better discoveries because I think the binary pre-assumption was really holding back science. And it is holding back science in many domains. So the sex, whether it's relevant or not, should be an empirical question. And once, as long as people have a pre-assumption that sex category is so important, uh, then this is a problem because they are studying sex differences instead of studying the other variables that may be more important. And just to give you an example, there was a study showing that of many different variables that were uh, taking into account when they, they assessed the functional, uh, function of the brain while people were, participants were viewing sexual stimuli. And sex category explained the least variability. Even the type of uh, MRI that was used 
how strong it was, explained more variability in the brain reaction than sex category. And other factors like age, like sexual orientation, etc., explain much more variability. So if you focus on this and think that a priori thinks that this is really important, you wouldn't look for other variables that may be much more important and maybe also we can change them. So if you think of education, socioeconomic mm -hmm. status, whether your, your diet, etc., these are things that we can really impact. We cannot change sex. I see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this is a really nice uh, summary and ending point for that interview. I want to thank you a lot for taking your time and um, yeah, sharing your insights on that as well and explaining to us a little bit more about the mosaic brain theory. Thank you for having me. Welcome back and a huge thanks again to Professor Daphna Joel, Dr. Claudia Bart, and Professor Marcus Hausmann for these great interviews. I hope you enjoyed this format. Maybe you were able to take away one or two things and are now a little bit more inspired. I definitely am. If you have any feedback, questions or suggestions for specific topics, please let us know and contact us via mail or Twitter. You can find the information in the show notes of this episode and our podcast. And if you've enjoyed the podcast so far, feel free to share it with family, friends or colleagues. Until then, hear you next time on Let's Talk About Women. <laughs>